All right, well, we're moving into a new series on relationships. And so we're gonna spend the whole month of, of July talking about relationships. And, you know, it's interesting, like as we're going through a year long journey, uh, right? It's the discipleship journey that we're on this year, talking about being a disciple. There's so many things that like they fit together and they affect one another. Um, and so I just wanna encourage you as we move into this month, so many of the things that we've been learning, studying, growing in, they tie into our relationships with each other. And so the, the first couple of weeks of this series, we're just gonna talk about some very like foundational, um, Dave calls them pillars in the Discipleship Journey book, just foundational pillars that kind of anchor us to have healthy, God-centered relationships. And then from there, we're gonna talk about some more specific relationships that we find ourselves in and just, just ways to walk out those relationships as we go. And so that's kind of where we're heading. Um, but we just, we've got to understand that relationships are essential in the life of a disciple. Like if I'm a disciple of Jesus, it absolutely means that I'm invited into the most important relationship of all, my relationship with God, growing in knowing him better, and even crazy as it is, becoming more like him. As I spend that time with him, he rubs off on me. He changes me. He grows me. And so, so much of being a disciple is about fostering that relationship with God. But he never intended for discipleship to be this one-on-one -on -one thing that's just us and him. He always intended for us to be in healthy relationships with one another, growing together learning from one another and investing in each other. And so relationships are absolutely essential in the life of a disciple. So if you wanna, wanna follow along in your Bible, you can. The scriptures will be on the screen, but we're gonna be in two passages of scripture this morning. And so you can kind of hold your place in Romans 12, um, but we're also gonna spend a little bit of time in John chapter 13. So Romans 12 and John 13. I wanna start by just setting the scene. You know, there's, there's a lot of scripture that we could draw from just from Jesus' life to see the importance he put on relationships. But I, I think it's interesting or significant, would maybe even be a better word, significant that on his last night before heading to the cross, he showed us how important relationships were. The time he spent having what we now refer to as the Lord's Supper with his disciples the time he spent in John 13 through 17 with these people he had invested so much time in, encouraging them, praying with them and for them. And in the middle of all of this time, we have this beautiful picture of how Jesus, the perfect relator, like think about that, Jesus perfectly related. When we say that Jesus lived a sinless life, one of the things that mean is, means is that he was the perfect relator. He never sinned in his relationship with the father. He never sinned in his relationships with others. He was the perfect relator. And so watch, watch how he approaches relationship. Watch the emphasis he puts on it. So John chapter 13, we're just gonna open by reading verses one through five. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So think about that. He knows what's about to happen. He understands the full weight of what he's about to experience. And in the midst of that, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus understands his power, his authority. He knows who he is. He's fully God with all that that entails. In light of all of that, verse four, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're asking you to do something miraculous in our lives. God, we, we stand in awe of you 
and the way that you love so faithfully, so perfectly, so sacrificially. God, we're blown away by that. We're in awe of it. God, thank you that this same heart that you had towards those disciples in that moment, God, you have towards each of us. Thank you for that. Lord, we're asking you now to do a miracle in our lives. God, would you help us to relate to one another the way you relate to us? God, we need your help with this. There might be moments where we get it right and many moments where we get it wrong, but God, we are asking you, would you do a transforming work in our hearts that more and more we could learn to love each other well? God, that we could grow and have healthy, godly relationships. Lord, would you, would you equip us to do this, to walk in this? God, give us tools in our tool belt that we can use. But God, even more than acquiring information or knowledge or tools, God, we know that ultimately we need a heart transformation. And so God, would you grow us and change us? It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Friends, the first thing that we need to grow in healthy relationships, we need renewal. We need renewal. We need refreshing. We need to be changed. And so this is what Paul's talking about as we pick this up in Romans chapter 12 here. You know, throughout this chapter, Paul's talking about um, kind of the beauty of the church, the body of Christ, the relationships in it, and how we are called to relate well to one another. And so I want you to see the significance of the first two verses of this chapter, because it would be easy to look at these as like a separate topic from everything else he's gonna cover. But I, I want you to think about these first two verses in the context of he's teaching us how to relate to each other well. And so Romans 12, verses one and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. You see already just that, that relational emphasis? Brothers, brothers and sisters is what he's talking about. He's relating at a family level. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the starting point of relationship is that, is that we are invited into this one. By his great mercy, let's walk out this healthy, worshipful relationship with the Lord. This is everything we looked at last month. The spiritual disciplines, the things that anchor us in a healthy relationship with God. Spending time in his word, worshiping him, both with our voices, but with our lives. Being dedicated to time of prayer, with him and for others, worship. And then we move into verse two, look at this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How am I gonna learn God's will to relate well to others around me? Because that's what he's talking about, relating well to others. How am I gonna grow in that area? My mind needs to be changed and transformed. And so as I spend time in God's presence, I am being renewed. I'm being changed. Listen, Paul's just being honest. For us to have any chance to relate well with each other, we gotta change. We need help. <laughs> we need God's help. That's the only way we're gonna relate well to each other. We need this. And so, so to have any chance at healthy relationships, growth and change needs to happen. Now, I think it's, it's interesting that he's connecting worship with being changed and then being in healthy relationship. And so I want us to see a little bit how this unfolds. And so as our reference point, if worship is essential to change, then worship means I'm, I'm beholding God. I'm holding him in high esteem and I'm aligning my life with him. 
And so let's look once more at Jesus as our reference point for healthy relationships. Because what he's doing here with the disciples is directly connected to renewal. Check this out now, verse six. So he's washing their feet. And in John 13, verse six, he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, or sorry, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand it. So like Peter gets on some level, like, like you shouldn't be washing my feet. Like I should be the one working, serving, doing something. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus saying, yeah, but you got to understand this. There is, there is a process that has to take place. You have to let me wash you. You've got to let me do that. You may not understand this now, but this is important. Verse eight, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's how essential it is that we get washed and renewed by the Lord. He loves us. He came to save us. And friends, we need it. We need renewal. We need to grow. We need to be changed. We need to allow him to love us and to wash us, to clean us up along the way. You know, that's what washing feet is all about, right? Like you just, you get dirty along the way. And like that meant something, especially in that culture, like walking on all dirt roads, sandals, like that's, that's gotta be some pretty nasty feet by the end of the day. But Jesus said, allow me to wash you, to cleanse you. And so when Peter hears this, like I can't have any share with him unless I let him wash my feet. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Like I need full cleansing. And Jesus said to him, the one that is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Listen, this is so significant. He's not saying to Peter, you don't ever need a bath. But he's saying as, as my disciple, you've already committed your life to following me. Like I've cleaned you, but you just still need some help along the way. If we have given our life to Christ, that's our position. Like I have been fully cleansed, forgiven. Like I have eternal life in him. But if we walk in any kind of self-awareness, we're gonna realize really quick, things are still messy along the way. I still get my feet dirty in relationships. I still make mistakes. And so, so Jesus is saying to Peter, there is a process where you need to be cleansed along the way, but dude, you're clean. I've renewed you. So part of this is we need to realize, guys, Jesus has already done for us the serious work of cleansing us, forgiving us, making us new. Like I'm a new creation in Christ. I need to take my stand on that. Like I need to recognize what he's already done for me. Like when I wake up in the morning and I know it's gonna be difficult dealing with people today, my starting point is God's given me the ability to do this. He's made me new. I'm a new creation in Christ. I can love well. I can forgive. I can extend grace. I have what it takes, not because of me, because of him because I've let him wash me. That's our starting point. And then realizing there's grace all along the way. I'm in process. And so he is renewing me. He is refreshing me. We're all in process somewhere. See, here's, here's, here's the bottom line. The reason a renewed mind is our starting point is number one, I need to realize I am still in process. I am still in process. I need help. I need to grow in patience. I need to grow in kindness and love. Like I am in process. And so will I yield myself to that process? Will I recognize that I need it? But the other reason this is important, friends, is to realize everyone else is in process too. I'm interacting with other people that are, are still being worked on, including some people that still need the full bath. Like notice Jesus washed Judas' feet. 
But he was fully aware that Jesus, that Judas needed a lot more than that. He was fully aware and yet he still positioned himself to wash everyone's feet. Having godly, healthy relationships, like thank God that we have church community as imperfect as it is, we're at least on that equal footing of having been washed and made new by Jesus. And so now we can, we can graciously love one another and kind of work this out together. But we're gonna go out into a world with people who've not been washed at all yet. But our posture should be like Jesus, washing everyone's feet. I need help with that. <laughs> Thank God that he wants to renew us. He wants to transform us. And so that's the invitation. So, so kind of our starting point going is just recognizing I need my mind renewed. The way I view situations, the way I view my relationships, the way I interact with people, like all the time, I'm just needing God to re renew my mind. Give, give me his vision for that, his help for that. Receiving his grace when he's working on renewing me and extending grace to others, realizing they're in process too. See, here's the beauty of this. Why did all this connect with worship? Why was that the starting point? Because the way we can better find each other in relationship is when we're aligned here first. Worship aligns us with him. And if I'm worshiping him and my wife is living a life of worship, then, then it's going to be much easier for us to then find each other we can find some common ground. We can find some unity, even though we are still imperfect people in process. As a worshiper, then I can extend grace and my wife will extend grace for me as we're in this journey of being transformed together. And one of the things that gives me great comfort, like, like my wife and I do not have a perfect marriage. We don't. That was shocking, wasn't it, Alex? <laughs> I noticed the sarcasm in that. Hmm. Um, we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a good marriage. We have a healthy marriage, but like we, we have problems. We have difficulties. We have arguments. I'm pretty stubborn. I don't like to, oh, now my dad's, hmm, you know. It's fun preaching in a room of people who know you really well. <laughs> I never turned this on, did I, Ron? There you go, Sorry. I just like touched it and realized it was there and forgot. I wear an extra little microphone. Um, anyway, so, wow, I totally lost my train of thought. So listen, it, it can be a struggle at times. It just, it is, it can be. But one of the things that gives us comfort when we're facing difficulty is we can look back and go, well, look at God's faithfulness in those moments of difficulty and challenge. Look how far he has brought us. We can make it through this too. We can make it through this too. Worship. It aligns us with him. And while it's aligning us with him, it then, it begins to align us with one another. It's the way like instruments are tuned. The reason they'll work well together is if they're all in tune, then they'll find themselves in sync. Alex will preach more about that some other time because he could probably explain it much better than me. So a renewed mind, worship unites us as imperfect people. Therefore, we can experience unity even as we are imperfectly growing and changing. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. I'm grateful for that. We learn how to mutually deal with imperfect people together here. And then we have a chance to go out there and wash feet. But we start right here. All right, so a renewed mind. Now, the second principle that is equally important to understand is the very next thing Paul gets into. And so now we're gonna pick this up in verses four and five. He actually spends several verses on this, this issue of uh, diversity. Um, but verses four and five now, Romans chapter 12 still. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one in Christ and individually members of one another. So if we're all people who need to have our minds renewed, we also are a diverse body. So we are both connected and yet different. Guess what? That's gonna make things challenging. It's gonna make things challenging. 
connecting with, getting along with, having grace for people that are very different from you is difficult. But it's meant to be rewarding and beneficial. In the same way that we need every member of our physical body, we need every member of the body of Christ. So we have unique differences and yet we are connected. Look at what Jesus says to like his motley crew of disciples. In the same passage, we're gonna skip down a little bit. He's finished washing their feet. And now he says to them in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what will uniquely set us apart? When the diversity of all of us can come together and love each other, that's what sets us apart. That's what Jesus was able to do. He loved all of these different people beautifully, perfectly, uniquely as they were. He met them where they were. And so he's saying, the world will recognize you. Now this should be stunning if we know anything about those disciples. They're different from each other. They didn't always get along well. In fact, in this exact same setting, like they're taking the Lord's Supper, Jesus is washing their feet. And yet Luke lets us in on the fact in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, you can look at it later, 22, 24, Luke lets us know they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. <laughs> they're comparing, competing, arguing. And in this context, Jesus said, love each other. Walk in unity. Walk in unity. This is amazing. Listen, there are differences among us and there always will be. And so we need to understand two things. Some of our differences are related to the first point this morning. Some of our differences are related to our need to grow and change. In other words, some of our differences boil down to sin. And so on the issue of sin, we need to, to, to be putting ourselves in a place where God is transforming us. He's sanctifying us. He's changing us. So we're growing in those areas. But it's gonna take some grace with one another to make room for where we're off. So some of our differences are related to that. But listen, guys, some of our differences are actually just simply a result of the beautiful diversity of God's design. There are some things that drive us crazy about each other that we think are something wrong with the other person that are not. In fact, it's a part of God's grand plan. I made that guy just like that. That personality, that viewpoint, that that way he views this. I made her just like that. Like there are things, and so we've gotta have, this is why our minds have to be renewed. I've gotta have God's perspective so I can see the difference. Lord, is this, is this wall that I'm coming up against with my spouse, is that wall there because one or both of us is sinning right now? Or is that wall there because you've made us different? And you want me to actually welcome and embrace and be thankful for that difference because it's, it's, it's bringing something of value to our relationship. I gotta have his perspective to see that. We trust our instincts, but our instincts are often wrong. I can make really big assumptions about people, but God wants to give me his perspective. Listen, I just got to tell you, if, if we're bothered by the fact that we are different and that drives us crazy sometime, I just got to tell you, get used to it because that's what heaven's going to be like. Yeah. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine and 10. John's seeing all these unbelievable things unfold. And then in verse nine, it says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. There is an element in our relationships where we've got to learn to celebrate the diversity that we have 
different personalities, different giftings, different backgrounds, different races, all of it, all of that. Different social and economic uh, standpoints, like all of it, we're different. Listen, it's easy when we talk about unity to think that means that we like sugarcoat or brush aside sin. And I'm not saying that at all. God takes sin seriously and he knows it destroys us personally and it harms relationships. So it's not about ignoring sin or making it all okay. It's about God transforming our minds, changing the way that we view things so we have his view And so I can recognize some of the things that I think are a problem in that person, they aren't. It's a different person with a different set of circumstances and a different personality, a different way of of processing mentally and emotionally. And it's actually beneficial for me to be in relationship with other members of the body of Christ who are different and that the whole body benefits from that. So that makes things challenging, but it also makes things wonderful. Makes things wonderful. So if, if this is what, if this is kind of what's in front of us as we're moving into healthy relationships, we're all people on a journey that are being renewed and changed and we're all different. And yet God's called us to be together. That's gonna be challenging. Can, can we all acknowledge that? Do we see that? Okay. So because that's challenging, we need some help. And so we're gonna talk through the rest of this morning is I'm gonna look at three this morning and then we'll cover some more next Sunday. Um, Some pillars that are just essential in helping us navigate our relationships in a healthy way. All right, so the three we're gonna look at now are grace, humility, and love. And then we'll continue with some more next week. Grace, humility, and love. We're gonna go back to uh, Romans 12, verse three for a minute. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to measure of faith that God has assigned. See, Paul's saying only when I understand and receive the grace that's been given to me, can I then navigate these relationships well. It's only then that I'll have myself in, in, in my proper place. Like I'll view myself correctly. And it's only by God's grace in my life that I can view other people correctly. Like I'm, I'm only gonna have any chance of navigating these relationships well until I, I recognize the presence of God's grace in my life. I need grace. Not only do I need God's grace in my life, but as I'm receiving his grace, his favor, his help, like that's what grace is. It's God's help. It's God's favor. It's his presence. As I'm receiving God's grace, I'm then also called to extend it. And the more I'm aware of and receiving God's grace, the better shot I'm gonna have to give it away to others. Friends, if, if we ever get to a point where, where we're starting to lose sight of our need for God's grace and how much he's given us, man, that is gonna trip us up almost immediately in our relationships with each other. But when I'm aware of how much he has graciously loved me, when I'm aware of, of how he lavishes that on me, then, then again, because my mind is being renewed, and I'm learning to celebrate the diversity of other people, then I can begin to see it actually is really important and necessary that I extend it here. Of course, Bryant needs grace because I need grace, right? I can extend grace to my brother because grace has been extended to me. And guess what? If this is really going well, it's mutual. And so I can give him grace. And you know what? If I think about it, there's times where he's had to extend some grace towards me and I should be grateful for that. It's a mutual exchange. Paul's talking about this in Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 29 through 32. Look at what he describes here. I love this picture. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace 
to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger. Think about it. Those are all a little bit different. Bitterness, right? Where like I hold on to something that's happened. I haven't been able to let it go. It's just festering. Wrath, just that lashing out. You, I, justice is required here. Anger, clamor, slander, right? Just thinking the worst or speaking the worst about each other. He's like, let all of that be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That whole picture is about grace. And I find it really interesting. Like we talk about not grieving the Holy Spirit. And I think that's an important um, thing to understand. And I think there's different ways we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But in this context, it was placed right where it was for a reason. We actually can grieve God's spirit when we're not extending grace to one another. Now think about what the opposite of that is. If it grieves the Holy Spirit, if we're not extending grace, then I'm actually cooperating with the Holy Spirit when I do extend grace. Listen, one of the Holy Spirit's key roles within the body of Christ corporately and our personal walk with God individually is he's the helper. You know how your mind is being renewed? You're cooperating with the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. He renews us. He equips us. He helps us. He changes us. He comforts us. All of these things that he's doing, he's working that renewal process in us. And so when I choose to walk in grace with my brothers and sisters, I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit. You want some help in your relationships? Start linking arms with God. When I'm cooperating with God in relationships, I've got a real chance to get this right. When instead I'm working in opposition with him, I've got a pretty good shot of getting it wrong. So a great way to think about this, like let's just get practical for a minute. If I need to extend grace to my brothers and sisters, then when I am in a specific situation with a specific person, a really good question to ask the Holy Spirit is, what would it look like to extend grace in this moment? How could I encourage or speak something that builds up? Like, I don't know if you noticed this because we read several, um, several sentences um, but in verse 29, when Paul talked about speaking that stuff that is good for building up, he says, as fits the occasion. This isn't just a blanket phrase. This is being aware of like, what does this moment call for? This moment, this circumstance, this relationship, and asking God by his grace to help you extend grace there. And maybe what's needed is, is he opens your eyes and you begin to realize, I thought I was needing to extend grace to this person, but God goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're the one that needs some grace right now. You're missing it. And thank God what we read, that, that we can forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, grace builds others up and it cooperates with the mission of the Holy Spirit. He's extending grace and he wants us to extend it to each other. Grace is a powerful tool in walking in healthy relationship. Number two, humility. I actually believe this flows um, from grace. I, I think humility comes from grace. I think by apprehending God's grace, it helps us grow in humility. And Paul connects them here. We're at verse three again, and then we're gonna also skip down and read verse 16. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. When I realize God's grace, then I'm able to think of myself properly and not too highly. And so I can think of myself not more highly than I ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Listen, we just watched Jesus live this. <laughs> if there was ever someone who could think of himself highly, it's Jesus. Like, remember how we started with him washing their feet? He knew who he was. He knew what he was there to do. He knew he was fully God. He was aware of his authority. And in that context, he knew fully who he was. He chose to walk in humility. If Jesus is choosing to walk in humility, how much more should I? It's essential. Now see this, this foot washing picture, like this wasn't just a moment in Jesus' life. Like he lived that way. The scene of him washing the disciples' feet was just an extension of that. But like he lived life this way. And so uh, Paul in, in Philippians taps into this idea of Jesus' humility and our need for it. This is in Philippians 2, verses five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I have never seen a relationship ever that has benefited from the presence of pride. I would love to discover an example of that. I don't think it exists. Pride has no benefit in relationships. In fact, pride does the opposite. Pride kills relationships. It kills them. It might start by harming them, damaging them, but ultimately pride kills relationships. But the opposite of that is true. Humility will kill your pride and give life to relationships. Jesus is the full picture of that. Like everyone is opposed to God. Each one has wandered and gone to their own way. Jesus is the only one that humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He humbly laid himself down to extend life to us. If you wanna breathe some fresh life into a friendship that seems like it's sideways right now, if you've got a relationship with a parent or a sibling that's driving you crazy, if you've got a spouse that you just feel like you're just missing right now, I guarantee you pride is not gonna help that. Try humility. What if my starting point in this relationship that just isn't going well right now, what if I stopped and said, Lord, help me to walk in humility with this person? oh, but they're seeing this thing totally wrong and it's causing all this. What if I was humble? But they're, they're missing it and they, they need to hear the truth. What if I was humble? What if I would approach that challenging situation, this difficult relationship, and what I brought to the table was humility? What if I laid down my pride and started there. I wonder what miracles are like right on the other side of that. I wonder what relationships we've been worried about, frustrated with. We've even been looking for like, God, could there just be some turning point in this? And the real thing that has been needed is our humility. Listen, if you're anything like me, when relationships are going sideways, it's very clear to me what the other person is doing to screw this thing up. <laughs> I'm real aware. If, if, if she would just change this, if he would just deal with this, if he could just see it this way, but how blind I can be to all the things I'm doing to contribute to the problem. Humility. What power would come from that? And it's funny because it trips us up, right? Because like pride actually feels powerful. Humility feels weak. But in my weakness, he's strong. 
In my weakness, he's strong. Humility. And of course, this leads us to the most, uh, like it seems obvious, but we're gonna talk about it in some specific ways. But this leads us to love. All right. If grace is a huge pillar in healthy relationships and humility is a huge pillar in healthy relationships, I mean, it all kind of falls under the umbrella of love, but I wanna talk about some specific ways that this plays out. Because walking in humility, it is the path to loving well. Like if I'm, if I'm humbling myself, I'm gonna put myself in a position where I can begin to love well. Because pride puts itself forward. Humility prefers others. That's like the definition of love, preferring others. Romans 12, nine and 10. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, Pastor Dave Buring in, in the Discipleship Journey book, he defines love like this. Choosing someone else's highest good. I love that. It's a great definition. Dallas Willard has used the definition over the years of willing the good of another. I like that, willing the good. It means like I'm putting my will towards the action of someone else's benefit, someone else's good. Love is meant to be an action. This isn't just the emotion of love. Like I should just walk around going, oh, I love this person. I love that person. Like it's, it's an action. Love is by nature sacrificial. If I'm choosing someone else's highest good, that's a sacrifice. I know how to choose what I think is good for me, but choosing someone else's highest good, that's a sacrifice. Mark 12, 29 through 31, Jesus kind of defines this whole thing for us. He gets asked what's the most important commandment and, in, and so he answers in Mark 12, 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's everything we were talking about earlier. That's worship. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's worship. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I want you to just briefly consider each of these three loves for a minute. Love for God. Well, we were already told this morning in Romans chapter 12, verse one, that loving God is our sacrificial spiritual act of worship. Sacrificial, Paul talked about. It's a sacrificial spiritual act of worship. So he has loved me sacrificially as I sacrifice in order to worship him, put God where he belongs. Like that's the ultimate and first step of humility, right? Me not trying to be God, me letting him be God. Now we would never say I'm trying to be God, but we do try to run our lives according to our, what we want, our desires, our way of viewing things, our way of doing things. Worship is sacrificial. God, I'm gonna put you in your proper place. And that's how I love God. I worship him. Love for people. Well, Jesus put it like this in John 15, 13. There's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. We're not on the topic of marriage specifically this morning, but we're told husbands to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died. <laughs> Sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. This isn't just warm, fuzzy feelings. Willing the good of another. Choosing someone else's highest good. Now listen, Jesus says something profound. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love for self has been very twisted in our culture. Like the idea of self-love has been really abused and misused and twisted. And it, it, it has been, I think the way it's talked about in our culture has just become become a way of justifying selfishness. But there is a healthy form of self-love. Like Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. So like, 
the way I would want to take care of myself, I should also take care of other people. There's a healthy form of love. The problem is we, we don't even love ourselves very well. Like we make choices all the time that aren't choosing the good that this person needs. <laughs> I choose sin, which harms what this person needs. I choose to eat some things that this person should not be eating. <laughs> but, but we're called to love God. We're called to, to love, like not have self-loathing and not have pride. Humility is a proper view of self. And so the way I can get here is God graciously loves me. And look who God is. And so I'm worshiping him. And so I, I begin to understand how powerful his grace is in my life. And that begins to renew my mind and shift my heart and help me, help me be humble before him. Like, God, this is incredible that you love me like this and you care about me. And, and so it aligns me properly. And as I walk in humility and I see his great love for me, I begin to view myself properly. I'm not elevating myself beyond where I should be, but I'm also not treating me like garbage. I'm not just loathing and beating myself up all the time and, and being hard on myself. Like he loves me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made in his image. And so having a proper view of myself and my identity in Christ then enables me, all of this enables me then to go, well, God, if you've graciously treated me like that, then surely I can extend some grace to other people who are still in the process of being renewed. And God, surely that this humility that I, I've received from you, I can walk in some humility in my other relationships. And God, that can enable me to love sacrificially because I know I'm loved. I know I've got everything I need from you. And so instead of fighting for what I need, getting my way, God, I can just humbly choose the good of others around me and know that you've got me. Listen, I, I know that there's a level of this. It's a lot. Like relationships are hard. They're challenging. You know, there's no promise that they're gonna be easy. In fact, there's, there's kind of a promise that they're gonna be somewhat difficult. But God also tells us they're good for us. He's put us in his family. We are members of a body. And so the diversity, the differences among us are for our benefit. And even when we're just choosing to extend grace and forgive one another, that's healthy for us. Like if Justin hurts me, like that does hurt but there's a powerful moment that can take place. If I choose to forgive, if he chooses to repent, like then we can see we made it through something difficult and came out on the other side. And I, I learned I can extend grace. And, and Justin learns like I received grace, like in a tangible way. Like I know God gives me grace, but when someone else gives me grace, it's very tangible. Like when my wife forgives me, that means something. I feel that. But then here's the beauty of that. There's gonna come a moment where the exact opposite's gonna happen. I'm gonna do something to him and I'm gonna hurt him and I'm gonna be in need of that forgiveness and grace. And it actually strengthens relationship. Guys, what makes strong relationships is, is not the absence of difficulty. It's learning to navigate difficulty well. It's learning to extend grace. It's learning to, to be humble. It's learning to love sacrificially. And that strengthens us. It draws us closer. That's what God longs for us. God is delighted when his children walk in unity. And so as we're on this path to having our minds renewed, as we have an eternity before us to celebrate and enjoy unity and diversity, let's position ourselves to have healthy relationships. I would encourage you this week, talk to the Lord about this. Lord, where do I need some grace in one of my relationships? Lord, where do I need to choose to walk in some humility here? Am I closed off to hearing another viewpoint or opinion? 
can, can I even be corrected? Can I, can I hear my spouse, my employer, my friend, my family members say something hard that I need to hear? Can I do that? Can I have humility? Lord, where can I walk in love? Where have I gotten kind of selfish and prideful and instead can walk in love? Grace, humility, love. Let's watch what happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to see that stuff at work in our relationships. Amen? Do you feel beat up or do you feel encouraged? <laughs> me too. <laughs> That's the right answer, right? Like if you're like me, man, looking at this stuff this week, I was convicted in like 10 relationships, you know? But when the Holy Spirit convicts, he does it lovingly to correct and to invite us in, okay? Don't let the enemy heap on guilt, shame, condemnation. God's inviting us to be renewed. He's inviting us into healthy relationships and he's extending to us what we need to walk this out. Let's pray. God, there's so much that we could say, but Lord, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you that you are a gracious God. Thank you that you extend great love towards us. Jesus, thank you for your humility even to love us so well. God, would you help us to grow in these areas? Holy Spirit, thank you that you do this just as each occasion allows. We don't have to solve every relationship right here forever, but just the next conversation, the next moment in time, the next interaction, the specific problem we know exists right now in that relationship. Lord, would you show us in these ways how to walk in grace, walk in humility, and to love sacrificially. God, would you graciously help us walk into this? Thank you, Jesus, that you wash our feet, that you are renewing us constantly. You're transforming us. Help us to enjoy and celebrate our differences. Help us to extend grace where needed. And may we all walk in humility and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.